2: My guest this hour is Una MacDonald. She is uh, from Britain. Her new book is called Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Turning the American Dream into a Nightmare. Welcome to The Money Answer Show, Una.
3: Thank you very much. Good afternoon. It's great to be with you. Let's just start
2: with your background a little bit. Uh, You were an MP, but just kind of briefly tell us your background and why you thought it was important to do this book.
3: Okay, yes, I was a Member of Parliament, and then after I lost my seat, I spent the next few years working in financial regulation. Why did I write this book? Well, it all started, of course, with the financial crisis of 2008-2009, and what really started me off on it was why we were in the middle of this crisis, what had happened, where had it all started? And it was pretty clear that it all, sadly, had started in America. And as I looked into it a bit further, I realized it all started with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and the use to which they were put in providing, quotation marks, affordable housing to people who couldn't actually afford it.
2: Indeed. So let's kind of go back to the beginning. Uh, Let's go back to the very beginning on Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, which were formed, I guess, in the 30s and 40s. Uh, to kind right. of create a secondary market. So, why don't you kind of describe originally what they were designed to do, and then how things kind of morphed, uh, get, getting into the Clinton era.
3: Right. Okay. Well, the reason why they were set up was quite a sensible reason at first in the Roosevelt and post-Roosevelt era, in the Depression, of course. Partly because then American banks were very small, and usually relied on deposits taken from their local communities on the basis of which they were able to lend for people to buy houses. But, of course, that meant that they were restricted in the amount of money that they could lend. So Fannie Mae was established first along with various other federal agencies, and it was designed to buy the loans, take them off the bank's books, pay them for the loans that they had bought, And that enabled the banks to lend more money. And that really, I guess, continued. It gradually grew. 1970, Freddie Mac was introduced to make competition. Before that, Lyndon Johnson had turned them into what were called government-sponsored enterprises. That is, privately owned, but under public direction, under federal control. So let's move on, then, until we get to President Clinton in 1995, because that's when this whole process started. And a couple of things happened then. First of all, Clinton was concerned, and I think it was a genuine desire to help people. He was concerned that minorities and people on low to middle incomes were finding it difficult to buy their own homes. Also, evidence was collected, probably not very good evidence, in Boston by the Boston Fed, which suggested that minorities were discriminated against in lending. So Clinton brought everybody together, everybody involved in housing, and changed the Community Reinvestment Act to strengthen the obligation on banks to lend to people on low, sometimes very low incomes, and middling, moderate incomes.
2: This is what's called the, the National Homeownership Strategy, is that correct? Yeah, that's
3: right, that's right, which Clinton announced in the Rose Garden in 1995. He did also say, and I noted this, that it won't cost any taxpayers money. Uh, Words which turned out, as you know, to be very false.
2: Yes. (laughs) Putting it mildly,
3: yes. (laughs) And then what I noted is that at the same time, a little-known act was passed. This was called the Regal-Neal Act, and it allowed banks to merge with banks in another state or acquire a bank in another state, which before then they hadn't hadn't been allowed to do. Okay, so that's fine. You did need bigger banks by then to cope with growing financial demand. And you needed more sophisticated banks by then as well.
2: Do you think that the the premise of all this was incorrect? I mean, they were talking about racial discrimination in home ownership and and so on. Was that the numbers weren't correct on that? I mean, the the whole premise of this, you think, was based on a faulty assumption?
3: Well, when you actually looked at the work that the Boston Fed had done, and, of course, many people went over it with a fine tooth comb, what it was difficult to prove, I'm not saying, of course, that discrimination doesn't happen, uh, because we know that it does, but what it was very difficult to prove was that the banks were refusing a loan on the grounds of color or race and not simply because the person didn't have a stable income, and didn't have enough money for the kind of substantial down payments that were expected in those days.
2: So, so it just turns was, out that the people who were of color didn't have high incomes. So there was, they were, you could confuse the two. You're saying?
3: Yes, yes. I'm afraid that was more often the case.
2: Yes, but based on that, they're saying we want to get loans. I mean, they were saying redlining, basically, that banks would not lend in Uh certain areas. Uh, And that's kind of racist kind of thing, is what you're saying.
3: It was partly to end redlining, but also it was very much, and Clinton made this very, very clear, that he wanted to increase the numbers of people, white or of color, who owned their own homes. Partly because... It was a benefit to them, but partly because it produced more stable neighborhoods. Yes. That was his aim.
2: Now, was there a lot of opposition to this? Or people thought this was a great idea and everybody kind of went along?
3: A lot of people thought it was a great idea. And, of course, um, the banks did go along with it because the carrot was for them that if they wanted to acquire a bank in another state or merge with a bank in another state, then they had to have an outstanding commendation from their regulators. And the basis of the uh, outstanding was um, commendation was that they had lent a lot of money to people on low to moderate incomes.
2: So their CRA score is what allowed them to do mergers. So the profitable thing was the merger. The CRA score was basically what allowed them to do it.
3: Exactly, that was a carrot that was the incentive for banks to lend
2: And, and this had not been true before you know, was before this whole initiative the CRA score was uh, not of a, a, a much interest or much of a carrot to banks it,
3: Well no it wasn't and besides which those two things merged together and also uh, when Clinton wrote his autobiography he said that these amendments that I've just mentioned to the Community Reinvestment Act were one of the things that have of which he was most proud.
2: Uh Uh-huh. Okay, so we're going along. Okay, so now we've got banks merging with each other because of the Regal Neal Act in 1994. And everything's going along swimmingly here. And and in fact, the homeownership rate is rising now because the banks are making loans that they probably would not have made in the past. Is that correct?
3: Exactly. And then, of course, they could sell them to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Okay. Because... This is where the Department of Housing came in, which said to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you've got to keep increasing the number of loans that you buy from banks, which have been given to people on low to moderate incomes.
2: Well, also, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, at this point, are publicly traded companies that have to keep growing their earnings as well. So they've got pressure to grow as well. Exactly,
3: yeah. Oh, sure, they certainly did. And were they making money? Yes, hand over fist. Yes. <laughs> because then they could, they could buy the loans, turn them into mortgage-backed securities, and then sell them to investors, investors throughout the world, not just to other American banks, but to investors throughout the world. So the central banks bought Fannie and Freddie bonds, Uh, commercial banks bought Fannie and Freddie's mortgage-backed securities.
2: And they knew they had the ultimate backing of the U.S. government in case anything were to go wrong, which in the end end is what happened, right?
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, not in so many words, because that wasn't at all what was in the government legislation. It explicitly said that these mortgage-backed securities, these bonds were not backed, by the American government, but everybody took that to be an implicit backing. Yes, uh, helped when Franklin Raines, who went on on sales trips throughout the world to sell these bonds, um, I think he kind of read what was said in the legislation. Then you know, nod nod, wink wink, Uncle Sam won't let us down. <laughs>
2: Which, in fact, he was right in the end. That's what ended up happening. It was, right? yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wasn't the way it was planned, but that's, he was right. they, they wouldn't let them right. go down. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so now, so now we have everybody. Everything's going along swimmingly here in the late nineties. Home ownership rates are rising. Mortgage-backed security markets rising. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac stock is doing well. So, what could go wrong here? Everything's going along swimmingly. Ah, oh, well,
3: everything was going along swimmingly to get to about two thousand and six. But um, what I put as the title to the chapter in, in my book is the subprime market grew and grew and no one knew. So a lot of these mortgages which Fannie and Freddie bought and the loans which had been made were to people who couldn't pay those loans back. And so when interest rates started to rise and the value of the properties begun to fall, then a lot of people were in serious trouble.
2: But the reason they were doing subprime in the first place is they had to keep growing their portfolios. There weren't enough prime loans available to keep uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Freddie Mac growing, and so they had to kind of reach down to lower quality Mm -hmm. to keep the portfolios Mm -hmm. growing. Is that correct? Because in the past, they would only have done prime loans.
3: Exactly. Um, But... There was a lot more going on um, than just that because no one had a proper definition of subprime, surprisingly enough. None of the regulators knew what they really meant by subprime. And in the meantime, what was actually being said was that you could have a loan if you uh, didn't have a regular job or if your second job is taken into account, or if you're on unemployment benefit, or if you're receiving child welfare payments, or if you're receiving alimony.
2: And this was all new. This had not been done in the past, is that correct?
3: No, it hadn't been done in the past. That was all um, how to lend to people who hadn't got the money. That's my... Uh, that's my so, interpretation of the Boston Fed handbook. But so who, who pushed
2: is. those rules through to allow lending to people like that? Was that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac that said they would now accept loans with those conditions? Or who, who actually pushed through those rules to allow subprime lending to happen?
3: Actually, it, it what it was was not so much pushing out new rules, What it was saying was that, look, you can set aside your usual underwriting standards that they're called. You can let people only put down 3% on a property. Instead, of course, your standard loan in America was 20%, as you know. Yes. So you could drop your down payment down to 3%. You could borrow up to 45 49% of your stated income. Or you could lend money who didn't actually verify their stated income. And
2: these That's were all the new things. things, yes. Like
3: that, yeah. That was the effect of abandoning what in the in the business is called proper underwriting standards.
2: Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Una McDonald. Uh, her new book is called Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Turning the American Dream into a Nightmare. And you can find out more about her at her website, which is unamcdonald.com. We'll be back after this.
4: always talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network it's a sad fact that fraud is rampant in today's business environment the headlines scream about once prestigious organizations falling victim to or crumbling due to the consequences of fraud How do you keep fraud from affecting you and your business? Tune in to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Chris has over 30 years of fraud investigation experience, business intelligence, and is a renowned security consultant. Chris and his guests will inform you and help keep you from being the next statistic of fraud. Tune in Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday.
2: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Una McDonald. Uh, She is the author of a book called Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Turning the American Dream into a Nightmare. You can find out more about her at her website, unamcdonald.com. Welcome back to the show, Una. Thank you. So we now have everything going along swimmingly. All these people are getting loans that wouldn't have had in the past. There's also two more things going at the same time, which is the Federal Housing Administration's changing things and the Federal Home Loan Bank system is changing. So let's talk about briefly the FHA and what was going on there that allowed more homeownership to be going on.
3: Well, the, the Federal Housing Association Administration also relaxed their guidelines, but they had always accepted 3% down payments because, of course, the mortgages that they offered had to be insured. So that would seem to be okay. But then they thought, well, how are we going to extend these loans even further? People have to put down 3%. Well, some people are finding it very difficult to put down 3%. So maybe if the seller puts down the down payment, then the buyer will be able to go straight in and start paying the mortgage. It was called the seller down payment program.
2: So, so the buyer had no down payment then, you're saying?
3: Exactly. In effect, no down payment.
2: Yes. Okay.
3: So then you see, then you had, this really gets a little complicated, but I think we can explain it. So you have a builder. He's built a lot of flats or houses and they're designed for low-income purchasers. So what he does is to set up a not-for-profit consumer uh, advocacy group, or he uses a not-for-profit consumer advocacy group. And they give the 3.5% down payment to low-income buyers who are trying to buy the insured loan. And then, of course, the um, the builder <coughs> could recoup that from the so-called non-not-for-profit organisation.
2: This was like the so, Nehemiah is Corporation. It. Is that the example of one of these non-profits?
3: Yes, <laughs> yes, there were numbers of them, and it really did uh, found. Um, that they really did find lots of ways around this. Uh, property sellers who provided the down payment assistance often raised the price of the house, so they recovered the cost of their contributions to the not-for-profits.
2: And so, so with the, many, were the regulators uh, encouraging this? The regulators saw no problems in this whatsoever at the time.
3: Well, they, no, they didn't. They, in fact, uh, many... Uh, Many of people in the Congress, in Congress, actually thought that this was a very good thing because it helped more people to own their own homes. Mm-hmm. The ones who started looking at it were not so much the regulators, but the IRS.
2: Ah, uh-huh, because they it really worked, were they weren't legitimate non-profit organizations. They were almost like front organizations in a certain way.
3: Some were front organizations. Some were legitimate. But as you can see, the builder might, as I said with one of the examples, the, um, <clears throat> the builder provided down payment assistance to not-for-profit organizations. So they raised the price of the property. So they got the money that they'd given to the not-for-profit back
2: again. So the IRS said that this, the, these were not legitimate, not-for-profit organizations, and the mm-hmm. they builders were also kind of do, well, doing... They
3: called it circular financing. Yes. Okay. So then the IRS
2: them. wants to close these downs, or what happens when the IRS looks into this?
3: Well, um, they tried to close some of them down, but it actually this down payment business went on for a very long time. The government... And the GAO recommended that the FHA should really look into the whole question of the down payments, but it persisted for a number of years.
2: I see. So there's a lot of loans being made using the system to right. people who really couldn't right. afford these homes.
3: Yeah, And uh, that went on until the start of 2008, when the, finally the FHA announced that such assistance was no longer allowed.
2: Oh, okay. And then, then. Me- meanwhile, that's going on with the FHA. And then the other thing is the federal home loan bank system, um, which is changing. too. what What are some of the changes happening with them at the same time?
3: Uh, they were lending money, of course, to to other banks to enable them to um, to enable them to continue lending. And there, I think, what really happened was that not enough people were aware of what was going on with the subprime. Uh, Directors, public interest directors were not sufficiently aware of, and were not in a position to be aware of what was going on. Problems arose in Seattle and Chicago, to problems over corporate governance, risk management, capital management, and financial performance. The bank had been seeking growth and profitability by purchasing mortgage loans, agency debt securities, that's funny, and Freddie securities, to supplement earnings for its advanced business. In other words, there the failure was really risk management, insufficient governance by especially the publicly appointed directors.
2: Yes. So all sure, this is going sure on, I mean, the people in the field knew this was going on all the time. They're making out loan applications to people with minimal income, no down payment, exactly. low credit scores. Yeah. I mean, this is not exactly a secret out there.
3: No, it wasn't a secret. But you see, it seemed to take a long time for the regulators to really to get their act together and to get a better definition of subprime loans not a sub-prime loan being defined in terms of its higher cost. A lot of the time, the attention was focused on the cost of the loans made to people on low incomes and with low credit ratings.
2: You mean the interest rate being higher as opposed to making it easier to qualify is what you're saying.
3: No, uh, just higher interest costs.
2: Right, I'm saying when people were looking at the higher interest rate on the on the subprime loans. Yeah, that's What right. they were Instead not looking, of looking at, at the was the of easier yield. qualification statements. statements. Right.
3: Yeah, okay.
2: that's right. And that's
3: that's where the focus was, and um, and then of course the uh, Congress did get concerned about predatory lending, um, really encouraging people, even people on low incomes, to borrow more than they could possibly ever ever. Payback or to take out loans to buy another property besides the one they wish to live in. So that was what worried Congress. But meanwhile, remember, all the time you had this affordable housing ideology, and Mm -hmm. people were really in the grip of that and were not willing to restrain Fannie and Freddie or to restrain the banks from subprime lending, because all the time the proportion of people able to afford their own homes was increasing, and especially amongst the minority groups. It increased faster amongst people of color and Hispanics than any other group.
2: So by now you're in the mid-2000s and President Bush has taken over from President Clinton. Bush was more conservative and so on. Didn't he see... Problems here that this was going to uh, no. get out of hand.
3: No, he continued with the same policies. I think the only sensible thing that Bush did, but it was a very, very limited, uh, a very limited policy. It was a limited amount of money. It was only about two hundred million, which, in the context of America, would be a drop in the ocean. And that was where the government actually paid the down payment on behalf of those who couldn't
2: provide the down payment. I can okay, understand so, that. Yeah, but it was minimal. Yeah. So, okay, so now we're getting to like 2005, 2006. Many, yeah, many of yeah. these mortgages have been made. Uh, when do things start unraveling where people are defaulting or not making their payments or uh, losing their homes? When, when do things start unraveling?
3: It started unraveling when interest rates began to rise, 2005, 2006. Mid-2006, if you look at the house price indices at the time, uh, mid-2006, house prices began to wobble and then to fall. So for some people, of course, an increasing number of people, the amount of mortgage that they had began to exceed the value of the property that they were living in.
2: And this is where people started to walk away from the homes because they were so underwater Mm -hmm. it wasn't worth it?
3: Well, in in America you do have something which in many states, not all states as I understand it in America, but you do have something which we simply don't have in the UK or in the rest of Europe. You have what you call no recourse loans where the loan is against the property and not against the individual who's purchasing the property. And so what they did was just leave the keys in the mailbox or shove the keys through the door of the bank and disappear. And then the bank was left with the property on their hands. Uh, Not everybody, of course, had a no recourse loan, but people did begin to default on their loans. And then, of course, the banks had to move into foreclosure. And people had to be evicted from the property that they had bought.
2: This is what the banks call jingle mail, right? Because they have uh, keys in the mail. That's what I've been t- told <laughs> yes, us. <that's> right. <laughs> yeah. oh, yes.
3: All of those would not be familiar expressions in the rest of Europe because we just don't <laughs> have those type of mortgages at all.
2: <laughs> Very uh, good. All right, we're going to go on with a story. We're going to take a break here. Uh, this is okay. Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Una McDonald. Uh, her new book is called Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Turning the American Dream into a Nightmare. Uh, Her website is unamcdonald.com, spelled O-O-N-A-G-H, mcdonald.com. We'll be back after this.
4: Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time.
0: Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday.
2: Her book is called Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Turning the American Dream into a Nightmare, and her website is unamcdonald.com. Welcome back to the show, Una. Thank you. So we're in the middle of the crisis now. Things are starting to unravel. We're about 2006, 2007. Uh, There's more uh, housing prices going down, interest rates are going up, more foreclosures. How do the regulators, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, does Federal Reserve react to what they're seeing happening in front of them?
3: I think the regulators still weren't aware of the uh, extent of the problem. Congress, uh, through the media frenzy that was going on, uh, because, of course, you begin to get reports of people being turned out of their houses, you get the collapsing house prices, you know, the sort of thing. The newspapers, media uh, were reporting this day after day. So, first of all, the chairman of the Senate Banking Committee accused the regulators of being asleep on the job, of being spectators for far too long. Uh, Of course, missing entirely the point that various bills had gone through, had been introduced, I should say. They hadn't gone through Congress. They had never became law. But lots and lots of bills were introduced to attempt to curb the powers of Fannie Mae and Freddie and Freddie Mac. Um, And they had often been defeated. Barney Frank famously saying he wanted to roll the dice one more time to ensure that people on low incomes and minorities actually got uh, their own houses.
2: And Fannie Mae and Freddie were also very effective lobbyists as well, spending a lot of money lobbying. Oh boy,
3: they were. They spent millions of dollars on it. They Gave large sums of money to uh, the campaign committees of senators and house representatives. They were very formidable um, enemies to have. That if you if you criticised what they were doing, if you criticised the affordable housing program, then you would find. Uh, Your mailbox, as a senator or a House representative, you would find your mailbox more than crammed full with letters of complaint from your constituents. Oh, they were really very, very clever. Had they
2: they not had that power, and had some of these bills been passed in 2006, 2007, thereabouts, could a lot of the damage been prevented?
3: I think probably quite a lot, yes. I think that people would have began to think more clearly about affordable housing and where that was actually leading people. Because one of the points that I always want to make when I criticize affordable housing so much is, look, what you actually did was you left people in a worse state than they were before. They'd bought a house, they'd made it a home, they'd put their emotions into that creation of a home, and then they were out, lost money, and if they didn't have a credit rating before, they certainly weren't going to get a credit rating again.
2: So it, was so like mirage, yeah. it was like a mirage. like
3: government. Position.
2: It was so like creating a mirage, really, right? People thought they owned right. their home, but they actually were renting it, and they were getting thrown out. Yes. Okay, so now let's move on here. So now we're now things are really collapsing. We're seeing a huge the house prices are falling. People are getting thrown out of their homes. Uh, the Congress people are getting upset. Wh- what leads to the uh, collapse really of Freddie Mac, Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, and they have to get taken over by the government? This is, by, I guess, in two thousand eight by now.
3: Well, you have a series of events in the year two thousand and eight. Right at the beginning of 2008, Countrywide, one of the biggest subprime mortgage lenders, and the one that was closest to Fannie Mae. Fannie Mae had a public agreement with Countrywide to buy a large number of its subprime loans, um, Countrywide on the verge of collapse and rescued by the Bank of America. Then uh, you move on through 2008. You have the collapse of the which had to be rescued by the government who uh, aided its purchase. Then you have increasing losses at Fannie and Freddie, huge losses for the fourth quarter $3.6 billion and $2.5 billion for them, respectively. The loss was triple the Wall Street analyst estimates. Interesting, isn't it, that they were much higher for. 2007 and a whole, as a whole than the analysts thought that they were going to be, uh, tried to rescue um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac following the collapse of Beerstein's
2: Stearns, passport. and then Lehman Brothers later, which all were were because uh, mortgage, mortgage-backed securities were blowing up, basically. That's what yeah, brought exactly. them down.
3: That was the that was the problem. When you get to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, they were um, they were at risk in July and finally taken into conservatorship, uh, which shocked everybody. And that was immediately followed by the collapse of Lehman Brothers.
2: And this is because uh, they they'd had such huge losses on these mortgages that were going bad. All over the place. And it wasn't just countrywide. There were all kinds of other subprime lenders that were going oh, under left yes, and right yes, at this time, right? Yes,
3: yes, a number of banks fell. Um, small and large banks fell. And uh, had to be taken over by the FDIC.
2: And this is where the TARP program came in as well, which was part of where they came up with the money uh-huh,
3: to take out yes, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, right? I think, where, I think where we have to get up to is because the real devastation came with the collapse of Lehman Brothers. Yes. Because by then, what happened was that they realized, people realized that Lehman's had overvalued both its commercial real estate, but also its mortgage-backed assets. People were beginning to realize that not just the mortgage-backed, assets, but the more complex derivatives built on those, such as collateral debt obligations, the so-called CDOs. people began to realize that, oh, wait a minute, what exactly is the value of these assets behind all of these derivatives and securities? And Do this is at a time when evaluate.
2: housing prices are falling sharply, and they have them yeah. uh, uh, eva- exactly. evaluated, uh, appraised, kind of at the original book value, of what the houses were worth when the loans were made—is that correct? Uh,
3: well, for Lehman's, the means of valuing assets was really rather strange, um, and often there was no proper procedure for actually valuing them at all. <laughs> <I see. laughs> but, but what people began—what other banks began to think—and this is why the whole thing ground to a halt—what other banks began to think was, ah. Oh, I am going to lend to you, other bank, but I don't know what the value of the assets you hold actually is. So I think I'm not going to lend to you after all. In other words, it was a credit crunch where banks refused to lend to each other because none of them really understood or believed in the value of the assets that the other held and believed that many of those assets were, as you say, rapidly falling in value because of the collapse of the housing market. Because no one had a proper definition of subprime, no one realized that by the time you get to 2008, that of the 55 million outstanding mortgages in the U.S. at the time, about $24 were subprime mortgages. Wow. (laughs) Almost half of the outstanding mortgages were subprime.
2: And what percentage of those roughly were delinquent? A lot of them?
3: A lot were either delinquent or foreclosed or were moving in that direction.
2: It's it's hard for me to believe, though, as you have the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, all these government agencies overseeing Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Congressional, all these people, banking associations, and nobody saw this coming as a a problem until it had completely blown up. It's just hard to believe.
3: I know it's hard to believe, uh, and it was quite hard for me to explain why, (laughs) but I think that there were at least a couple of things wrong. One is, as I said, there was no proper definition of subprime. The other was that the data that were collected on mortgages was inadequate. Uh, they were co- the data were c- collected under, the, um, under government legislation, but they didn't really go back to what the quality of the loan actually was. Meanwhile, of course, you've got the rating agencies, Standard and Poor's, Moody's in particular. And they were rating the mortgage-backed securities and the CDOs. They were giving them triple A ratings.
2: Did they know better or they were, it was just a conflict of interest because people later on said the rating agencies were just they got paid by the rating the the uh-huh. people who were offering the securities, they had a conflict of interest, but they actually knew what was There's going on behind the huge, scenes.
3: Certainly a huge, huge conflict of interest, but what the Financial Crisis Inquiry Commission um, showed up, it, it produced internal emails, emails that employees of Standard and & Poor and Moody sent to each other, and those just an amazing read. I quoted some of them in my in my own book because I couldn't believe what I was reading. What these emails actually showed was <laughs> the people employed to to rate uh, a particular bank CDOs, let's say, emailed each other telling each other, "I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I've got." hundreds of these to do today I can't possibly do them all properly another would say I have no idea how to do this (laughs) in other words to sum it up the rating agencies didn't have the models or enough staff or enough skilled people to actually know what they were doing when they came to rating the CDOs
2: So they just gave them a a blanket AAA for everything and hoped for the best.
3: (laughs) Yes, I guess it got to that in the end. But my theory is that if you want to know what's really going on in a company, you should get access to the emails that the staff send to each other about their work. It was certainly an eye-opener.
2: Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Una McDonald. Her book is called Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. Turning the American dream into a nightmare. And in this last segment, we're going to talk about the future and where things stand now, and could something like we've been talking about happen again? We'll be back after this.
4: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
0: Have you become a member yet? specific time on the voice America business channel
4: what does conscious leadership mean to you it unites organizations instead of dividing them by exploring commonly based business challenges it guarantees an increase in your bottom line tune in to minding our business creating a spiritual economy with your host Nadine Rogers Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business.
0: Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
2: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Una MacDonald. Uh, her website her, her website is unamcdonald.com, and the book she put out is called Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Turning the American Dream into a Nightmare. Welcome back to the show, Una. Thank you. So we've kind of gone through the history of where we got to. We had uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac basically collapse, had to be taken over by the government, uh, and then the housing market really collapsed dramatically. Mm-hmm. Take Take us to where we are today, uh, the housing market seems to be have recovered a good deal. The Federal Reserve has been pumping a lot of money in. So people say, well, that'll never happen again, so everything's basically fine. But what, what are you seeing in the environment today?
3: Uh, well, I think there are signs that, that all may not be quite as rosy as, as it appears. And I'll, <clears throat> I'll take one change first of all. Um, I guess people probably don't know the Federal Housing Finance Agency, that's the outfit that actually looks after Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac at the moment and that's the one that really runs them. Okay, so we had uh, Civil Servant running it until very recently and then that change has taken place and uh, North Carolina Congressman Mel Watt is now running federal housing finance agency, and therefore responsible for what is going on in, with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and all the decisions that are being taken there.
2: So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac at this point are still in conservatorship, but exactly. they've been very profitable, and they've been giving a lot of money back to the government in dividends. Oh.
3: Oh, sure. You can see why the government doesn't want to abolish it. They've been given about uh, what is two hundred and twenty-five billion back to the government, yes, and that's been used in a variety of ways. Um, uh, partly to continue the reduction in the payroll tax, which obviously encourages jobs. So that's maybe
2: so this is, This is all a good thing. It. So why interrupt a good thing?
3: <laughs> well, exactly especially when you're in debt and you've got a lot to be paid off. You know? um, a little concerned with the new head of the, of Fanny and Freddie, in effect, because he's running them right now. Uh, a couple of quotes about his knowledge. He asked can someone please explain to me what is in Tier 1 capital? Now, Tier 1 capital is the kind of best capital that banks are supposed to have as their cushion, as their fallback if things go wrong. And then he said uh, in 2011, in December, I don't know a damn thing about derivatives. I'm still not sure I do. Well, I hope he's been having some lessons since then because he'll certainly need to understand derivatives in that position so that makes one a little bit disquieted about that, the
2: that was Fanny what then. are the what are the actual problems you see under the surface today in the housing market and the role freddie and fannie are playing in it
3: not so much in the housing market, though I, as I understand it, house prices are still rising and not rising as quickly as they did last year. But like the UK housing market, house price rises are kind of flattening out a bit. That is not necessarily a problem. But signs in the wind, as it were. Uh, one is the possible reduction, again, of the deposit that you have to put down before you can get a loan to 3%. I
2: mean, the down payment you're talking about.
3: Yep, the down payment again.
2: I mean, so, if FHA has continued to have the 3%. That's been true all along, right?
3: Yes, but they're meant to be insured. As you know, you can't have a loan unless it's insured, so that if you do default on the loan, then the insurance covers it as far as the FHA is concerned. Of course, there are a lot of problems with the FHA. FHA insurance, but we don't need to go back to that right now. You're saying
2: in in the private sector, uh, traditional banks are are chafing at having 20% down payments because it's hard for them to make loans. There's not that many people they can find who are credit worthy, so they want to loosen the standards.
3: Uh, Well, I think that's only part of the cause. Before banks start actually uh, lowering the down payment, they want to be sure. I mean, you've all noticed that banks have had to pay huge fines um, because, of the, uh, because they allegedly sold subprime loans to Fanny and Freddie, who didn't know what they were buying. It right. began with the Bank of America, huge fines, and has continued. So banks want to be sure this time that if they do agree to lower the down payment and sell the loans on to Fannie and Freddie, assuming that Fannie and Freddie continue in existence in some form, they want to be quite sure that they're not going to be whacked with great fines in the future. So they want to be quite clear that this is agreed, and if they sell loans to Fannie and Freddie with such a low down payment, they will be, that will be recognized as being something that they had agreed to do with Fannie and
2: Freddie. But part of the, uh, the well, Dodd-Frank regulation which came out of all this was well, that the banks have to have these so-called qualified mortgages exactly, where they have to have yes. some skin in the game and, and hold on to some of the mortgages because in the past uh-huh. they, would just, they would just sell off the mortgages and didn't care what happened afterwards because they had no stake in it. Is that making a positive difference?
3: No, because that is also going to change. The new standards that have been introduced since the Dodd-Frank legislation now allows banks to securitize and to sell mortgages without retaining a 5% stake.
2: So that's overturning what was found in Dodd-Frank, you're saying?
3: Yes, it's changing
2: that. I see, because that was the whole purpose of that act. So you're saying a lot of the regulations that were put in after the collapse are kind of being mm-hmm. gently... ...are now
3: being overridden. Overridden. Reported, reported in The Economist um, is that the federal agencies, not the banks, announced that new standards would permit banks to securitize and sell mortgages without retaining a 5% stake.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So, so, so you th-
2: basically what you're saying is we're about to repeat the same cycle all over again?
3: Uh-huh. These agencies in 2011 had also suggested that uh, mortgage-backed securities should only include mortgages with a minimum deposit of 20% and mortgage repayments of no more than 35% of the borrower's income. That was in 2011. looks as though it's all changed in 2014.
2: Is this because there's pressure from the banks? They want to make loans and they just weren't able to do it with those restrictions like 20% down and so on?
3: Well, yes, but also remember that the same pressure is still there, that the government wants banks to lend to people so that they will be able to buy their own homes.
2: So, so the whole housing so affordability own. thing has still not really gone away as such?
3: Oh, no, no, it hasn't gone away, certainly not politically. Uh, and now the loan-to-income ratio has been raised to forty three percent instead of thirty five percent. Say forty three, well it's it's not quite half, but it's getting on, for you'll be allowed to pay half your half your annual income in repaying the mortgage. Almost half. Forty three percent. Not quite, but moving so all, on that
2: way. All these all these regulators who were set up after the Dodd Frank <laughs> regulation, who've yeah. now been through and I understand what happened before are they not objecting uh-huh. to this? You're saying they're just being swept aside? No, oh, no, it was
3: actually a consortium of federal agencies announced this. In other I words, see. it's not the banks announcing it. It's the same federal agencies announcing it. So, and <laughs> So, so you, yes, you think this uh, is a bad idea? I, I think it's asking for trouble again. Look... Uh, We all know it's extremely difficult, that the down payment is very hard for people to raise. I understand that. Most people understand that. But you do have to find other ways of doing it. This might be its too complicated to start explaining it now, but you can think in terms of part rent, part equity, or shared ownership. Those are the only ways out to people who might be able to repay the mortgage but may not be able to find the down payment. There are other possibilities. What I would want to say here, looking at the potential changes, actual and potential changes that are taking place, I would say for any other bank um, throughout the rest of the world, the last thing you do if these changes go through is... Don't buy American mortgage-backed securities or CDOs again. Don't do
2: it. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. All right, well, it's been fascinating. (laughs) We've unfortunately come to the end of our time here. Uh, My guest during the Money Answer show has been Una McDonald. Uh, Her book is called Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, Turning the American Dream into a Nightmare. Her website is unamcdonald.com, spelled O-O-N-A-G-H. And it's been quite a fascinating story and lots of interesting things to to look for in the future here. So thank you so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show now. Thank you so
3: much. I've really enjoyed talking to
2: you. Very good. Thank you. We'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now.